Welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with theindicast.com. My name is Abhishek and this issue's cover is on real estate and how the usually stodgy and lumbering sector is warming up to various innovation risk taking. We will hear more of it from Samar Srivastava of Forbes India who's anchored the package. Hi Samar, nice to have you on the call. Thank you, Abhishek. Uh, Samar, what's the package about, its theme, and uh, who's on the cover? So this is our annual real estate issue, and every year we try and pick a different theme where we try and look at one aspect of the real estate market that has been doing particularly well. So, for example, last year we profiled Jitu Virvani, who runs the Embassy Group, and he He's now got a string of office spaces in Bangalore where he's got absolutely marquee tenants. And through him, we told the story of how the office market is really shaping up in this country. So this year, we've again got several stories with the cover being on PNC Menon, who runs Shobha Developers. Now, Shobha Developers is his listed company in India, but he's also got substantial business interests in the Middle East, real estate business interests in the Middle East. And the story captures that. Then we've got a story on student housing. And student housing is a very mature asset class in the West. And you've got a lot of funds, pension funds, private equity funds, retirement funds, etc., etc., that invest into student housing. And this is a theme that is, is in its infancy in India, but is just beginning to take off. And over the next few years, it may become an investable asset class. So we, we've looked at that. Then we've looked at the co-working space, and we've looked at how that space is evolving in India. Lastly, we've got a story on on housing finance companies. When you look at housing finance companies, we only hear of the HDFCs of the world that have financed houses for people like you and me. But now there's a ton of companies that are focused purely on the affordable housing space. And this business is really doing very well. Let's start with uh, this uh, affordable housing in times when, you know, holdings on street corners, they read one BHK for 82 lakh rupees and stuff, in, even in suburbs of Mumbai. What is affordable housing, Summer? Very briefly, and in the context of really pricey real estate, where does that stand? So affordable housing obviously means different things to different people. But the government has in the past year defined affordable housing and they've said that, look, if you want to take benefits for affordable housing. So when you book an affordable house, then an affordable house has to meet certain parameters. And for example, in cities, it can be no more than 300 square feet. In outside cities, it can be no more than 600 square feet. And they've also given given an income range that there is the individual's income, I think should not be more than 18 lakhs. He should not have another house, etc. So there are various parameters. And if you meet all of them, you then qualify for what constitutes an affordable house. I can definitely tell you that it's highly unlikely that an 82 lakh one bedroom house will qualify under that because right. the person with the income criteria will will never be able to buy that. Right. Now, you're right. Affordable is different for different people because those hoardings end with the word only. So it's 82 lakhs only. So That's correct. Uh, let's move on to the other one that you've done, uh, Summer, is on student housing uh, and hostels for working mm-hmm. professionals. Now, this as an industry didn't exist a few years back, but now there are private equity or you know investor-backed startups which have uh, begun leasing out space for a month for not more than 4,000, 5,000 rupees where perhaps a migrant student from the village who comes in search of a work or you know further future prospects, he can bunk in there for a while and that's a big market, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
student housing and housing for working professionals you know these options have existed for students for example when you go to a new city to a new college you take a pg typically or when you've just started working you take a pg where you are typically at the mercy of the landlord security is not great you may have a curfew you need to come back the accommodation itself might not be very good but because you have no choice you take it this has always been an unorganized market in india but in the west you, you do have hostels you know hostels could be near colleges and new and universities or hostels could be for working people and the thing to understand about this business is it is as much a real estate business as it is a hospitality business so somebody who thinks of this as purely as a real estate play and enters will probably not do very well but if somebody thinks of this as hey i need to provide housekeeping i need to provide food i need to provide wifi i need to provide some laundry it's, you know that sort of person and of course if he gets his location right should end up doing very well and once you have this asset and once you have the rental income coming in uh, then it becomes an an asset that you can then sell to other investors and promise them a return based on the cash flows you hope to generate so it then becomes an income generating asset and i was quite surprised to find that investors uh, or people who run these hostels uh, get a return of upwards of 15% i was quite surprised just like you have oem manufacturers you can you know forge partnerships with educational institutes who will uh, guarantee a parallel mm. flow of students where you can tie in the hostel fees with that of the tuition fees so you have this steady income uh, coming in as well yes that's correct Uh, shared office spaces now that too is becoming quite popular it has been around for a while but because instead of paying basically humongous sums to rent an office in a prime location you can rent desk space uh, for a much lower fee and again as you mentioned it's not just about the space but also the amenities that come around it but more than the amenities it's also the fact i think most important is the fact that apart from saving on rent for a single office apart from the amenities apart from the location etc etc it's more about the fact that you end up meeting people of your age who may or may not be doing the same thing but it's that community it's that i'm told a lot of startups have been co-founded in these co-working places i mean i suspect that it's these softer aspects that are really driving the trend and also when you look at this space i think investors have now uh, you know any business takes 2 uh, 3 4 years to mature and investors have now got an idea of how large these offices should be where they should uh, put them what are the kind of vacancy risk that they should plan for in their spreadsheet model you know things like what are some of the uh, amenities that people are willing to pay for what are, what they're not willing to pay for so i think this market is also gradually evolved and it's now at least in the metros it's it's reached uh, a pretty mature stage somewhere you mentioned that you know these members on that floor can collaborate and coordinate with each other share ideas etc where i think right, one point was interesting right. where if you need a a graphics designer you might find that person on your floor finally mm-hmm. i think you've you've interviewed alister elliot of knight frank uh, real estate consultancy now what was that about where you talk about brexit and how it has impacted is it just the london real estate or generally overall and so the reason why i wanted to interview him of course uh, he's the chairman of knight frank and so he has a bird's eye view of global real estate but what was more interesting was that if you look at the uk property market post brexit of course there was that that initial panic in in the month after brexit but after that things have been reasonably steady also because the pound has depreciated by 18% you now have a lot of people pouring money into uk so there are the suddenly these funds that had frozen redemptions in the immediate aftermath of brexit 
have now got a lot of money to invest again in real estate. So the reason why I wanted to interview him was to get a sense of, uh, you know, how the market turned around, uh, turned around so rapidly. And also the fact that when you look at the road ahead, he said that, look, let's assume the Brexit negotiations go well. Right. The, once Article 50 is triggered and UK has a two year timeline to pull out of the European Union, if the negotiations go well, it's likely the, that the pound will appreciate and even more money will come in. And let's assume that they don't go well. In that case, well, then the pound is already depreciated and look how much worse can it get. So he seemed to suggest that both ways things should be fine going forward. And his advice to clients is in general. Whenever you have a market panic, and also in the case of Brexit, if you don't need the money immediately, just do nothing. Just wait for the panic to subside. Don't take a decision that you will end up regretting later. And it's not as volatile as people predicted it to be. There was doom and gloom before Brexit, and it hasn't turned out to be that case, is what he's saying. Is it? No, it hasn't, no. Thanks a lot, uh, Summer. On that note, it's time to wrap up. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Abhishek. Yes, and all you listeners, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as on iTunes. And to have someone call you for a Forbes India subscription, message Forbes to 51818.